Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast, the place to learn field-tested, no BS tactics to growth hack your online business, and finally, live life on your own terms. Now, your host, Gael and Mark. Hey guys, welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. Uh, sorry if we haven't been too regular lately. It's been the holidays, so Mark and I took a little bit of time off. And we'll be back on a regular schedule really soon, so give us a week or two and you should be getting a podcast every day. But today, I'm with Perrin and we are going to talk about optimizing the Amazon affiliate program revenue for your site. How's it going, Perrin? Pretty good. I actually have been taking some time off too because I moved across the country. Where are you now? So that your fans can stalk you, you know? Yeah, <laughs> I'm in North Carolina. I actually like it when my fans stalk me. I've met with quite a few readers in Chicago, so I bet there are going to be less here in North Carolina. But Well, now they're all going to move there. But I know. <laughs> <laughs> cool. So... I think it was important to talk about the Amazon affiliate program. I think, first of all, because it's really popular, a lot of people are using it as a first form of monetization on their site. And second of all, because it's still a little bit tricky. You still have to make a sale, even though like Amazon is definitely the easiest sale to do. I mean, Mark and I, we're more email marketing and high paying affiliate programs rather than Amazon. Although, you know, we still, we're, we still make four figures a month from Amazon. So we definitely make money from it, but we probably make four times more from high paying affiliate programs than we sure. make from Amazon. But you are, on the other hand, more oriented towards Amazon for your site, right? Yeah, I'm trying to move away from it, and we can talk about that later, but it is still the main source of revenue for my current site. It makes up the bulk of my revenue in about two-thirds. Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to start, right? It's uh, mm-hmm. and Can you just explain, for people who haven't used it, how the Amazon affiliate program works in broad strokes? Sure, yeah. So the Amazon affiliate program works basically like any other affiliate program. And the way affiliate programs work in general is that you refer a customer or a potential customer to a vendor's site or a retailer's site. If the customer then buys something, you get a commission. There are, of course, lots of ways affiliate programs pay out. But for Amazon, you get a commission when someone buys something. Also with Amazon... There's a tiered structure, so the more customers you refer, the higher percentage of that sale you get. It starts at like 6%, goes up to, I think the highest I've ever gotten is 8.5%. I mean, it goes um, up more, right? It goes 10 or, 10 or 12 or something. But like, I'm actually, you need to sell a lot. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure. I thought it capped at 8.5%, but I honestly don't know. Okay, maybe. I need to recheck. We'll probably post a graph on the site anyway. Yeah. So I think one thing that also is important for the Amazon affiliate program is that usually with a lot of affiliate programs, you sell, send people to a product and then if people buy it, you get paid. But if they buy another product, you don't get paid, right? Whereas Amazon, you get paid for everything people might buy on Amazon, but only for the next 24 hours. Right. So that's the trade-off. Um, is that all you have to do is get somebody onto Amazon.com and then you can basically let Amazon convert them, which is what Amazon does better than maybe almost anybody, any major physical goods retailer anyway. Uh, however, 
Most affiliate programs, if you're in the affiliate marketing space, you might know this already. Lots of affiliate programs have like a 30-day cookie, 60-day cookie, sometimes even a lifetime cookie. Amazon only gives you 24 hours to get that customer to buy something. That said, it's still usually profitable for people because Amazon is so good at converting them. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, like when I compare, like when I decide, like, am I going to push that product on Amazon or maybe on the retailer side or something? Usually the retailer's commission is to be two and a half or three times higher for me to even consider them just because Amazon converts so well, you know? Yeah. So on a typical e-commerce site, I think the benchmark conversion is like 2%. And uh, lots of people start out around like one and a half percent or so. Good retailer might have three or four percent. Amazon pretty regularly for me converts at like six or seven percent. It's very, very high. I'm checking our uh, dashboard right now, and we're at like 5.87% actually. Yeah, it's um, just very high for basically all retailers. Yeah, it's it's very, very high. It means like every uh, less than 20 clicks, you make money. Right. Which is, it's not very difficult to get 20 clicks. Um, yeah. It's definitely possible. So I think the number one objection that people might have is, does it work for my niche or does it work for my site? So does it? Uh, You know, that's going to be a question you have to answer for your site. There are certainly some niches where Amazon works better than others. And there are definitely some niches where Amazon will not work at all. So the niches in which Amazon will not work at all are going to be niches basically where there are no physical goods. So that's going to be niches where there's no goods at all to sell, like a movie review site or something. Or niches where... DVDs you could sell. So that's a bad example. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) But you get what I'm going like. So maybe it's a general information site and you know, you're, or like a, maybe a better example would be like a, a celebrity gossip site. Mm. Very few products you can reasonably promote on that site. You could stretch, promote their product lines or lipstick or whatever, but it's not going to be natural. The other niches where Amazon doesn't work too well are going to be niches in which it's a purely digital good or service. So something like insurance or something like that. Amazon works best for physical products. So if you are in a niche at all in which people need to buy something, Amazon will work to some extent for your site. Some niches are going to be better than others, right? So if you have a site that reviews kids' toys, they're going to be endless products you can write about. You could have thousands of articles about a thousand different toys. Or if you have like a board game site, one of my favorite Amazon affiliate sites is Board Game Geek or not Board Game Geek, but Shut Up and Sit Down. And they review board games and there are just thousands of board games. So all they do all day is they put out these amazing reviews of board games and they have an Amazon affiliate link if you want to buy it. Some niches though, say for example, rock climbing, there are only like three or four pieces of a gear you need to go rock climbing or like running. All you need is like shoes, maybe like a watch or whatever. There's just not a lot you can promote. So there's a spectrum in any niche you're in that has physical goods you need to buy, it can work, but some niches certainly work better than others. Yeah, I mean, I almost contradicted you on the info stuff because I would have said, oh, but you can sell Kindle books, right? Yep. But the truth is, if you're going to be selling info products, I don't think Amazon is a good deal as well because, I mean, they pay a little bit more for Kindle, I think. Like, you know, I think they pay up to 15% for Kindle books and stuff, but... The truth is, and we do that a lot with Mark. We sell a lot of info products. That's, you know, 90% of what we sell mm-hmm. on health ambition. 
apart from the Amazon stuff, physical products, but the commission rates for info products tend to be much higher. Like, you know, we're talking 50 to 90% for some of the stuff we sell. So Amazon if is you're a lot not on Amazon, right? Yeah, exactly. So that, right. that's the going rate for selling info products, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, then Amazon doesn't really become worth it. Like it, it probably could work. You could probably sell some Kindle books, but to be honest, like at a, you know, a 10 bucks Kindle books and you get 10%, that is $1. Um, right. Probably not the, worth it. We make like, per, I mean, for a lot of ebooks we sell, and that's B2C, we sell like weight loss and nutrition and stuff. You know, like between 30 and a $100 commissions very often on a single sale, you know? Right. Yeah. And honestly, the only sites that I've ever seen doing really well promoting Kindle books as an affiliate are very big, dedicated ebook promotion sites. So they'll have like ebook deals of the day or whatever. And they'll give you a link in an email, which we're going to talk about because it's a little bit risky for them. But they'll be promoting like daily Kindle deals. And then all the links are going to be Amazon affiliate links. Those sites can do really well. And I've seen a few on Flippa that are medium size that make like two or $3,000 a month or something. But as far as just like general niche sites, you know, like a fitness site promoting fitness books, I think it would be a lot harder. Yeah, I don't think you can make a living out of that, out of selling Kindle books. Although you can make a really good living selling high-paying info products. Um, yeah, big time. Okay, so I think we get how it works. Now, a lot of people are going to ask, okay, how do I get people to buy like what kind of keywords should I target what kind of content works how do I transition from being a piece of content people swiping their credit card on Amazon yeah so there's certainly a way that I've done it that I've been successful with and it's the way that we kind of teach especially in some of the courses that we have upcoming for newer folks who are just getting into digital marketing but it's not the only way to do it so let me kind of talk about both of those Uh, The first one is to target keywords that show strong buying intent. Those are going to be keywords with modifiers that indicate that the person searching for that keyword is far along in the buying process, right? So the one that everybody knows is going to be best. So if you're talking, you know, best toaster, best running shoes, whatever. If you type in any of those keywords that you can think of best anything, you're going to find an Amazon niche site probably in the top results. Yeah. The other one, the other big one is reviews. So reviewing specific products. I had a lot of success with this when I ran my little shaving site where I would review specific razors that were really popular. There's a, a specific type of razor called a Merker 180. It's just a staple in the industry. It's a good starter razor. Lots of people buy it first when they first get into shaving as a hobby. And I reviewed that one and I made lots of money with it because there were so many people looking for reviews on it, right? So those types of keywords, best reviews are kind of the bread and butter of a lot of niche site builders, but they're not the only ones. You can also use like a top, you can use modifiers like cheap, but you want to put these on the front of the types of products in your niche so that you can capture the traffic that is looking to make a buying decision. So yeah, I think the under X dollar as well works pretty well. Like a lot of people are like, Oh, so shaving razor under a hundred dollars or something. Yeah, when I was uh, at Niche Pursuits, we had a site in the technology niche and all of the keywords were, you know, blank 
technology under $500, under $300, under $1,000, that sort of thing. So that works really, really well in industries in which there are lots of different price points. So for example, one of the markets I've always kind of wanted to go into is telescopes, right? Telescopes you can buy for $59.99 or you can buy for $1,200, right? So in that industry, lots of the best keywords are going to be, you know, like X size telescope Mm. under $500 or whatever. (laughs) So those are certainly really good ones. There are other ways to do it, though. So you and I have a we colleague. Do it right. I mean, go ahead. Go finish the story because I don't think it's the same story, actually. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a colleague, and I think you're going to know who I'm talking about. He has a site that doesn't target those at all, but he just puts text links in the articles about that thing, right? So he writes really good articles, mm-hmm. and... All he does is provide good information, but when he mentions the product, it's just a, it's an affiliate link to Amazon. His site gets good traffic, but it's not necessarily people targeting, or I'm sorry, people in the buying process specifically, but because the information is so good, the people who are looking up that information might be interested in those products. He makes a really good living the last time I checked. Do you know who I'm talking about? I'm trying to be yeah, yeah, vague I know, I know and specific. Who talking yeah. about. Right. So... You don't have to target the best blank keywords or review keywords. You really can write really good information and put text links in. You're not going to have as high of a click-through rate necessarily. And your conversions when people get to Amazon might be a little bit lower because they're not looking to buy specifically. But that guy, last I heard, was making more money than I did or than I do. So, Yeah, I um, mean, we do that as well on Health Ambition, actually. like We mm-hmm. have quite like actually a lot of even the new ones articles that will mention a solution right. and i actually wrote a blog post about on how on authority hacker back in the day how to sell with solution oriented blog posts so yeah. i'm going to give you and the, the funny example that we've used a few times already but that post about how to stop farting on health ambition mm-hmm. that's pretty popular like that one makes amazon sales right because people can take activated carbon that basically absorbs gas in their stomach, essentially. And, mm-hmm. you know, people land on that page asking, like, literally some of the top keywords are like, why do I fart all the time? And <laughs> how right. to stop farting. It's a right. very classy podcast. <laughs> um, and so people are looking for a solution, right? And then we list a bunch of solutions, like a bunch of, like, supplements people can take. And this makes pretty good sales as well. Like, I see a bunch of that activated carbon go from Amazon. And obviously, we're definitely not making a ton of money because this is actually pretty cheap. But it's actually pushing up the number of items we sell, which means that, you know, we get to higher commission rates. And also, these posts, these solution-oriented posts, they get a lot more traffic than a review post, right? If you say best activated carbon, that's probably going to be like 100, 200 searches a month. It's not just maybe 300. But like, you know, how to stop farting is like something like 25,000. Right. It's a, so, it's a yeah. So even if your clicks rate is low, your conversion rate is low, it actually makes okay money. So I think one way I like, and also it's a lot less competitive. And, you know, the people that build tiny Amazon sites, they don't really target these keywords. Right. So, uh, you know, we usually mix the monetization for this post. So we also have ads on it and we have opt-in pop-ups. And so we run our, all our email marketing, which is definitely what makes us the most money these days. So we kind of like mix all three together. 
But what I also like about these posts is that these posts get backlinks. Yep. And so you can do your review post and you can link to that post from your solution post. So like I have my how to stop farting, then I can make a blog post on what is the best activated carbon to buy for bloating, for example. Yeah. And I can link to that post from there and then I can link build to the how to stop farting blog post. And that actually pushes my review posts. Plus, both of them make selling. Yeah, for sure. And so usually the way I typically like to do that or the way it looks in practice for me is I like to fill out my site with lots of solution-oriented posts anyway, not necessarily to sell products, but just to be a good resource and to capture more traffic in general. But when I have a few solution posts that end up doing really well, and we both have these for our sites, right? Like mm -hmm. we write these problem solution posts and a few of them are, uh, will kind of rise to the top and end up capturing lots of long-term traffic, etc. When I see those start to rise to the top, those real winners that kind of present themselves, I can go back into the post and say, okay, what products would solve this solution for this person? And then maybe I put those in a section up at the top or something, you know, or yep. I make solution number one, try the supplement or whatever it happens to be you know uh, yeah that works but there's also value in actually having it in your process like i'm finding that the long tail is actually bringing quite a bit of revenue mm -hmm. where we're at at least in terms of traffic like around half a million a month yeah it's like it, it's we used to do it that way but now actually we've trained the editorial team to actually include products from the get-go and I explain yeah. how we manage the links and that's going to make more sure. sense. But actually, you know, even if it's not much, even if an article makes like 20 bucks or 30 bucks a year of Amazon commissions, you know, it's like very little per month. We're talking like, you know, two and a half dollars a month or something. It really adds up if you publish regularly. So I think the, when you're low on resources, doing what you said is the best. But I wouldn't be afraid to go down to like the top 50 or 100 pages on your site. Like go quite deep. Even if pages only have like 500 visits per month, it still adds up, you know? Sure, yeah. And I think the only counter argument to that is that if you have a brand new site and you're like doing heavy link building and that sort of thing, yeah, you do risk looking like a thin affiliate site if you're True. not adding lots of value and writing good articles. So... Just as a best practice, I like to keep my percentage of articles that have affiliate links low, below half. I, it's lower for me now because I just write a lot of articles. But if you're at the point where health ambition is, yeah, you know, putting them in all of the articles that you're writing because the site is so big can really make the revenue add up over time. I think also it's just the way you do it as well. So like most people, they put some big flashy buttons and blinking and like click here and like three arrows pointing Definitely. to the button, etc. Like yeah. when we do these in info articles, they're literally like a plain link. Yeah. And we are linking out to so many resources and authorities like government sites, etc. to back up all the uh, health claims we make, etc. Like, you know, an article will probably have like 20 to 50 links maybe. Yeah. Like, you know, one or two will be Amazon. I'm telling you, like the average reviewer will not even see it, you know? Yeah, it's only the person that is reading that paragraph that yeah. wants to try that solution. And that's a really important point, too, is that that works really well if you are writing an article that's really solving somebody's problem. I think a lot of people make a mistake there where they are writing an article and the first thought that they are thinking, the, the impetus to get that article written is, how can I sell this product? That's okay sometimes, but in this scenario, uh, the reason... Yeah. Yeah, it's secondary. And that's kind of why it works 
with those specific types of articles. Yeah, totally. It's it's like it's kind of like an afterthought. It's like, oh yeah, by the way, here's a product. Here's a good one on Amazon. But usually the article is written without the link even, and then it comes up. Yeah, um, and uh, the colleague we were talking about, he doesn't even do that. It's just when that word comes up, he kind of hyperlinks to it, and that's mm. it. He doesn't he doesn't even call it out, you know. Yeah, and it works really well for him. Yeah, it's just about not overdoing it in these info articles. It's like value first, then people might click. And, you know, when you do your review posts, you can go a little bit heavier on pushing people to click, you know? Yep. I wanted to talk, since we talked quite a bit about email marketing, I know you're not doing much email marketing at this point, but what would you say about people that are doing some email marketing that want to use Amazon? So it's it's tricky. Putting Amazon links in emails is against Amazon's terms of service. Big no-no. Very easy way to get banned. And it's one of the reasons the free ebook sites are having a lot of trouble now. So there's kind of a battle going on with big sites like, not BookBub, but the other big one. Dollar something. BuckBooks. BuckBooks, I think is what it is. They were putting Amazon links in affiliate emails. And a lot of ebook sites were doing that. It's against the terms of service and a lot of them are being banned. Not to mention Amazon is very ban happy right now. So they've been banning a lot of people for a lot yeah. of reasons. If you are an email marketer, if you have a big list, that does not mean you can't use Amazon Associates or you can't leverage your email list to sell products with Amazon. You just have to be a little bit more creative about it and you have to make it more of a two-step process. So instead of just blasting out affiliate links like you could with ClickBank products or whatever, what you want to do is write a post, write a blog post or pick a blog post that's already written that your uh, list would like and then put Amazon links in that blog post. I haven't done this because... I don't have a big email list for my site yet, Mm -hmm. but what a lot of people like to do is do curated products, you know? So if you have, say, a running website and you have a really big running list, you might put together a list of like the best running shoes for the first quarter of 2016. And then when people go to that post, because they're expecting to look at products, it can really just be a list of products and every single one can have a link to Amazon, you know, or it can be something fun, you know, like the goofiest running shorts, whatever. But that's generally the way you want to do it. If you have a big email list and you want to leverage that to sell products on Amazon. Yeah. Planning to do that on for Christmas, actually, on Health Ambition. So we're just going to be curating our own, you know, best X for Y type posts, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's just going to be a list of like potential gifts people can buy for like, you know, healthy gifts they can buy for their loved ones yep. and linking out to this post and emailing it and blasting it through push notifications and all these ways, maybe even retargeting. Yeah, that's basically like email. You can't email directly, but you can send traffic to a landing page. To be frank, a lot of more and more affiliate offers, even high paying ones, do not allow email blast directly anymore. Like building a landing page is becoming more and more required. And the good news is, you know, it can be as simple as a blog post. And often these work better than like a fancy landing page or anything. So literally just make a blog post on WordPress and make it hidden if you want and just email it and it works pretty well. So just wanted to mention it because a lot of people do email marketing that listen to us. Yeah, I think as a segue... 
incidentally, this is also probably how you would market to a social audience or if you're doing paid traffic at all. I don't think paid traffic uh, would produce a good ROI necessarily with Amazon. Yeah, probably not. But with a social audience, this is also what you could do. You can post links directly to Facebook with Amazon. I asked my rep about that specifically. They view your social accounts as part of your uh, internet entity, as, as part of your website. So you can do it. But what I found and what a lot of people have found is that social audiences don't just see nah. a, a product page and click on it. They want to see you know, 25 amazing running shoes for 2016. They want to be That's, entertained, you know? They want to be entertained. Yeah. So you need, you need to make something fun or like, you know, like the perfect Disney themed sports outfits right. or something like that. And like, and some funny pictures with it, et cetera. Then you can link to Amazon. Then some people might buy, but yeah, social media, it's like, I see so many people, you know, they want to start and they don't want to, um, they don't want to put the effort. So they're like, oh, I'm going to monetize with Amazon and I'm going to get traffic with Facebook ads. Right. And, and I know it's never going to work. Right. <laughs> and I see so many of these people on Facebook. It's just like, it's like Amazon is great when you don't pay for your traffic, but when you pay for your traffic, it's like, if it's your only monetization method, you either need to be a paid traffic god or yeah. you need to have other ways of monetizing. Yeah. It's just, it's just not enough usually. So. It's probably not an idea you should go for if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I want to do uh, Amazon uh, affiliates and Facebook ads together. Big no-no unless you know, you're building a brand, email list, etc. Yeah, but I think the takeaway is that writing those types of click-worthy blog posts that are curating products in a fun way is a really good skill to have because you can use it for both email marketing and social media marketing. Yeah, I think uh, John Dijkstra does that as well, actually. Yeah, and he's uh, really good at it. Yeah, he, he was mentioning it. I was reading his book, which is really good, by the way. Go check it out, fatstackblog.com. And he mentioned that he did that and he made... It's not his main way of making money, but it's one of the ways he makes money. So it's pretty well known that Amazon makes a lot of money to affiliates during the holidays, especially Christmas and Black Friday. Is there any specific tactic people should be using to take advantage of that, to get more out of it? So this is the one that I know the least about probably when I was okay. looking over the notes for this podcast. So first of all, if you have a site that is working and making money with Amazon during Christmas, you will probably like double your money anyway, just because Yay. when people click the link from your site to go look at the best running shoes, they're also going to buy the toys for the kids and the flat screen TV for their husband and whatever else they need to buy. And you get commissions on all that stuff, right? You have a 24-hour cookie and you get a chunk of whatever they spend. So if you have a working Amazon affiliate site, you're going to make more money during Christmas on any or anyway. But I'm sure there are some other strategies I'm not thinking of. The only one I can think of, and maybe you can talk me through this, the only one I'm thinking of is like doing some holiday-specific promotions, right? So gifts for runners for Christmas time and that mm -hmm. sort of thing where you can push it out to your audience or you can publish a post and put it on the front page of your blog or whatever. And I know some people take advantage of it that way. Some people also, and maybe this is what you're thinking of. I'm just kind of talking out loud here. Go ahead. Some people also make holiday specific niche sites, right? So they make yeah. like Easter sites like, and what they recommend is Easter baskets. And for, you know, 10 months out of the year, they make nothing. But for those two months, they make $10,000 or something. So there are those opportunities out there also. 
Yeah, I mean, I think the the blog post is the way to go as well. Actually, that's why a lot of authorities decides to be honest. It's like, essentially, don't treat your blog posts as blog posts. Treat them as landing pages to make sales. And you've got to be half entertaining and half selling. But like, yeah, it's like the same thing as I was mentioning via email. Like, how we're going to be curating for the holidays. I think that is one way of. Doing it, I think things like site-wide call to actions, like you know, a hello bar or something that links to these kind of posts, so that across all your blog posts, you have a call to action to that curated post to redirect traffic. So, actually, if you're listening to this podcast, it might still be going on if you're listening on the day it comes out. But like, we have one of these call to actions right now on Atari Hacker for our giveaway, and these generate quite a bit of traffic. So hello bars type post directly to uh, type call to action above your post linking to a curated post that targets your audience. So imagine that you are in the drone, like say you have a drone website. Let's change the example a bit, not a paintball one. <laughs> like you could be, one thing that you can do as well is that Amazon has Christmas deals and you could be for the 10 days before Christmas, you could be making one post per day with like all the daily deals in your niche. Sure. And then you email, share on social media, etc., and people click through and buy stuff. So if you do that and you mix it with a site-wide call to actions, which I, which I really like, it's like, this is what you're blogging all year. You're blogging all year so that you get that traffic, that daily traffic increasing, that daily passive traffic that I call. So essentially, you know, a mix of social media traffic, search traffic, and referral traffic. Coming to your site, reading your content that you've been publishing all year. Well, with these site-wide call to actions, you can take a portion of that traffic and redirect it to whatever call to action is worth it for you today. So we are nearing the launch of Authority Hacker Pro, and you'll definitely see a bunch of these on Authority Hacker. So if you're actually listening to that podcast on the site right now, there's a good chance there is a call to action on the top of the screen right now. And I, I really like doing that. We do that a lot using the... Um, the thrive leads option on um, health ambition. So the way it works is like getting the email subscription is number one for us, but thrive leads has this pretty cool option that nobody else has that allows you to show different call to actions for uh, people that are already subscribed. And you do that through putting a specific link in the email that you sent to people and it puts a cookie on their browser and then they will always see the already subscribed call to action. And for these, we link directly to like affiliate offers related to the blog post. We link to whatever it is that will make us money for that blog post. And usually we use the hello bar type call to actions and we email the blog post, you know, then every time we email a blog post, people see these calls to action and click. So that allows us to send traffic ongoingly to whatever's making us money, but it's only working on our subscribers. So we optimize for subscribers, and when they're subscribers, we optimize to make money out of them. Yep. That was pretty advanced, actually. Maybe that was a bit too much. Okay, let's talk about the next point, which is optimizing commission rate. Do you do anything for that? So let's re-explain the rules. If you sell more items on Amazon, no matter their price your commission rate will increase. So if you sell you know, 20 items, your commission increases. If you sell 100 items, 1,000 items, 10,000 items, every time you get like 0.5 to 1% extra commission rate. And this does make a difference in terms of the revenue you're going to make. So do you do anything to optimize that? Not necessarily, except for the stuff that I do naturally. But I do think it's important to understand and I think it's important to keep in mind when you're building a site. So... 
what you really have to think about is that you need products on both ends of the spectrum, right? Mm. So the products that are going to make you the most money are going to be the expensive products, right? If you can recommend a telescope for $700, 6% of that is... You didn't make it easy on you. Oh, God. <laughs> $42, right? Because that's the starting commission rate is like 6%. So if you yeah. recommend a $700 telescope, uh, you're going to make 42 bucks. However, if you've got that telescope and you're making 6% on it, you could also recommend lots of telescope accessories and other stuff that a person who's into astronomy might like and that they can buy as part of a kit or whatever it is. And if you bump that commission rate up, Every telescope you make is going to make you more commission. So the basic idea is that you need to recommend products that people are willing to buy on an impulse. So cheap stuff that they go to Amazon and they go, yeah, sure, why not? It's only $15 or whatever. However, those by themselves aren't going to make you that much money because the commissions are so low. So you need to combine those, which are meant to generate sales volume to get your commission rate higher with expensive products that can generate lots of dollars per sale. So the most successful people I know are the people who recommend a few really expensive products, but also are good at recommending enough products to enough people that their commission rate is uh, high on those expensive products. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to out one of Mark's first affiliate site here. It doesn't exist anymore, I think. But you know how every time you buy a new smartphone, you need to cut your SIM card? Mm -hmm. They get smaller and smaller. Right. He made this, like, he, to just to bump his uh, commission rate for all his other sites, he, back then, he made a niche site just reviewing SIM cards cutter. <laughs> this thing costs, like, a dollar, right? They're very, right. very cheap. <laughs> so he would make, like, seven cents commission on the sale, which basically costed more money to take the money out than the money he was making. But I think at some point he was selling like 40 a day or something. Oh, wow. And that bumped his commission rate on everything else. And that was right. worth thousands of dollars to him, you know? Right, right. So, uh, yeah, it's like uh, definitely selling stuff that people buy on an impulse. Oh, stuff that, buy, that people buy a lot, right? I'm thinking like ink cartridge for printers for example that kind of stuff right you know people will buy like we'll buy for six months or something they buy like four five six or like i don't know pair of socks for if you're reviewing ski equipment you know yeah uh, that kind of stuff that people are gonna buy like five ten because right. it's based on the number of items not on the value then you can really like you know the the same thing the same telescope that you were mentioning that you'd make $42 on, if you ever get to a 9% commission rate, which is, you know, pretty hard to get. But if you ever get that, instead of getting $42 on that sale, you get $63. That right, that's is, a 50% increase in your money. Yeah, that's huge, you know? Yeah, that's uh, it's really, really big. So it might not make a huge difference for, for one telescope, but if you have a nice site and you're making $3,000 a month on those products, that takes it up to $4,500 a month, which is a major difference. Yep. Although you probably make a lot more money if you're at 9%, but yeah. I want to talk about tracking IDs for a second. Okay, let's explain what tracking ID is. Tracking ID is basically a parameter you can add to your URL that allows you to somewhat be able to try to guess where the sale came from. And that is 
usually the only tools affiliates have to understand what part of their marketing made the sale. So like that can be which post, which part of their site, whatever it is. But it's kind of up to you to organize it. And actually, I think we should make a big guide on how to use tracking ID mm-hmm. someday. That's going to be really nerdy, but I think that would be useful. Anyway, I just wanted to ask if you use them and how do you organize them? Uh, I do use tracking IDs. I think I do it differently than most people. I do. I, I try to keep my tracking IDs to as few as possible. First of all, because you cannot delete tracking IDs on Amazon once you create them. So if you just go ham and you start creating like a whole bunch of tracking IDs, for every little thing you need, you are going to run out and you're going to be stuck with them and you can't rename them and all this other stuff. So it can be very annoying. So I try to create as few as possible. So let's first of all, think about what you need a tracking ID for. You need to maybe test revenue from particular sources of traffic. You might want to see what your best pages are and you might want to like split test different types of stuff that might affect your sales rate or your conversion rate or whatever. Mm Mm-hmm. What I like to do is have one primary tracking ID for the whole site. And then when I want to test something, I have three or four testing tracking IDs, which is usually all I need for to test like specific page layouts or whatever. And then I also have one for like social. And if I ever started doing some email marketing, I would create one for email marketing. And then depending on what I do with social, like, so for example, right now I've been building my Facebook page. If I ever got into Pinterest, I might create another one for Pinterest. So I kind of have one for everything. How do you do that though? If you promote the same page? Right. So you might have to create two pages in like no index yeah, one okay. or do a rel canonical to the first page or whatever, depending on how much you want to test. But Usually I I use different IDs only insofar as to test things. And then if I decide I want to make that change, I use my general ID site-wide. An example of that is uh, I have product tables on my site. That's one of the ways I optimize my my click-through rate. It's coming up. It's coming up. Yeah. And I was testing a bunch of them and the way, and I basically use Google Analytics to split traffic to three different types of pages. And I had a tracking ID for each page. And then over the course of the week, I just recorded the revenue for each tracking ID to see which table was the most possible or was the most profitable. But after I figured that out, I went back to my general ID site-wide. Cool. What was the most profitable one? My original one, figures, <laughs> right? <laughs> so I, uh, and it was really dumb. I made like this huge, like animated, like insanely complex thing with Thrive Content Builder. Like, it honestly took me like 15 hours to make this table. It wow. was really, really crazy. Uh, and it just made no money. <laughs> okay. Well, that, that happens in like 80% <laughs> of the tests anyway. Yeah. But uh, is it one of the cases where like less is more? Like, you, the, the more simple, the more people trust it? Yeah. So, if, if we want to kind of segue into conversion rate optimization, should we just talk about that now? Yeah. Go for it. Um, so yeah, the the thing that I found is really uh, with affiliate links in articles that less is more and text links convert better than anything else. So I have tables in my articles right now and they are like up top and um, sort of like uh, under the first paragraph where I have the name of the product, I kind of have the age, a general price and I have, and I give it a rating, right? Mm-hmm. But the only link in there is just a hyperlink for the name of the product. There's One no of my colleagues, buy now or anything like that, right? 
Correct. Yeah. Uh, so one of my colleagues who is also an Authority Hacker Pro member, and he's also in my niche, he had big, long articles and he would mention, or when he mentioned the products at the, you know, sort of like towards the back end of the article, he would put an affiliate link and his click-through rates were just you know, like a third of what mine were. So he was thinking about doing tables and I wanted to save him some work because creating tables is annoying. It's one of the most time consuming things you do at for any article really, especially at the beginning of a site. And especially if you're not using Thrive Content Builder. So like I would use plugins like Table Press early in my career. Oh, that's painful. You have to do it every <laughs> single time, right? And a lot of people still use it or like you have a custom solution, whatever. So I was like, I have an inkling that it's not the table that makes the conversions happen. It's just having a group of text links up near the top of the article. So I was like, man, you should just try some bullet points. So he took all the products in that article and he put them in bullet points, like under his first paragraph. And every bullet point was just the name of the product and a hyperlink. And then, of course, you kind of introduce that ball list. You say... If you want to save some time, here are the products I'm going to be talking about in this article. You can click them to check prices on Amazon or whatever. Yeah. And his conversion rates increased, I think, like 300%. No, so, so one of the things that I that we found is that it's not the table, it's not the design, it's not necessarily the fanciness of the thing. And if you look at my tables and you go across the internet, you'll see lots of people copying them. Well, what we found in that small test, and it could be anecdotal, that's not a big sample size, but is that it's, it's not the table that matters. It's just having a group of text links up top and that can really do wonders for your conversion. Um, but we also found some related stuff like we found or I have found some related stuff that might be a little bit counterintuitive. So I found that people generally don't click on images. Okay. There's some there's some conflicting data. A lot of people there. say image, linking images is a good idea though. Yeah, a lot of people say linking images uh, is a a good idea. I've found that uh, they don't increase revenue at all for me. Okay. Um, especially because you can't alter the images according to Amazon's terms of service. So I think some people might be breaking the rules by having an image that includes like a button, you know, that says like buy now or whatever, but you can't alter the images at all. And in my tests, I found that they, don't alter the revenue enough to justify putting in a bunch of extra affiliate links in an article. So yeah, I think the two lessons for conversion rate optimization for me, and I really do think mine's pretty good. It's like 40% of the traffic that goes to those articles clicks the links. That's really good. Um, yeah. It's to just have a group of text links up top and that text links convert better than anything else. So I will typically have a group of text links up top and then I'll have a big informational section and I might talk about the products specifically briefly at the end and I'll have another quick text link in there. And that seems to work the best. Okay, maybe I'm going to kick all the buttons out from Health Ambition then. Uh, That's honestly like... I'm So I'm thinking about some new sites now, not to cut you off here, but just to... Uh, Real quick, thinking about some new sites now, and I would, and I and I'm building one site. It's not going to be an Amazon site, but I ha but I've got a niche that I might get into next year that would be a big Amazon site similar to my current one. And for that one, I would not do tables at all because they take so much time, and it's just easier to create a bullet list. Just hire someone to do it. <laughs> That's the thing, though, is that like, and you know this. 
I, I create tables with Thrive Content Builder yeah. and getting someone like training a, a VA. But like on what Thrive you can Content do is Builder. you can, uh, you can template it, right? So the person that does that for us, they literally drag and drop the whole table at once and just click the text to change it. Yeah. And it could work. Yeah. <laughs> I think, I think for, um, people using like the backend of WordPress who, are, who aren't using Thrive Content Builder, probably should avoid tables altogether and just do bullet lists. Or if you want to be different, uh, you can do bullet lists too, because I'm personally tired of seeing the same Amazon tables for every Amazon niche, niche site because they get used and overused and it, it's kind of annoying. And I think bullet list people respond to them because they don't feel like you're trying to trick them with like fancy CSS and all this other stuff. I would agree with that. Less tends to be more. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm really thinking of toning down the formatting on some of our stuff, actually, to make it feel more like a personal blog rather than something that's too professional, you know? Yeah. Okay. I think another question that a lot of people will have, given the size of our size, given the amount of Amazon links we have on our site, how do you manage the links? Do you just copy paste the Amazon link to your site or do you do something else? So I differ with a lot of people here. I, I really do copy and paste the Amazon link directly to my site. Whether uh, And it's always a hyperlink for some text, of course, but it is the raw link. It's no followed, but I use no affiliate link software. A lot of people use thirsty affiliates a lot of people use genius links yep. those seem to be the two most popular and they do make it much easier to to manage your links however and i know what i'm about to say there's conflicting evidence every time i've talked to amazon support they've told me that i cannot alter the links at all and people even in our own community in yeah, the Authority Hacker debate. Pro community have talked to support and gotten a different answer from amazon support my, because I'm so risk averse and because Amazon is such a big part of my revenue, I don't want to take the chance of getting banned. So I personally choose to just use the raw links. Now, obviously that makes it hard to manage. So there are a few plugins that you can kind of work around. One I like to use is it's called Better Search Replace. Basically what it does is it runs through the HTML of your whole site. And you can say like when you find this thing, uh, replace it with this thing. So for example, like if you were to sell the site, you wouldn't want to go change every affiliate link by oh, yeah. hand. It would be a nightmare. I've done that before and it's just the worst two or three days you can spend, right? But you can say like, hey, here's one tag, replace it with this tag and it'll do it for your whole site. It's not as nuanced as like a link manager would be. You can't say, I want to change only this product or only these pages. Those you still have to do by hand if you're doing A-B testing or whatever. And I still do that. I'm just so risk averse with my site and I'm so paranoid that I choose to only use the raw yeah, links. I think people, you actually have a blog post coming up soon on, that will explain to people a lot why you're so risk averse, actually. Yeah. We actually use Genius. We've tried a lot of things, but I'm going to explain what Genius is in a second, but I really like it, actually. So Genius is, it's not your average, you know, affiliate link manager. It's essentially a plugin. Well, it's, it's an external tool, but there's a WordPress plugin that you install on your site. You plug your Amazon affiliate IDs to the software service that they have on their platform. And then it takes any normal Amazon link. So like we literally link to products to Amazon without the affiliate ID. So like we tell our writers to link to Amazon products and we don't even add to that. 
right. and then it just replaces it with you know a shortened affiliate links let's say but it's it runs through amazon's api actually which is why i'm really i would be really surprised if it wasn't supported especially since like you know companies like universal or pc gamer or mac remotes use them you know it's like it's it, it's you know they're pretty big but what i really like as well is that they convert the link to the local version of amazon so if you click on the link and you are in the us you get to amazon.com if you click on the link and you are in the UK, you go to amazon.co.uk. If you are, if you click on the link and you're in Germany, it goes to amazon.de, etc. And it does its best to match with this exact same product on the version of Amazon where people go. Obviously, it doesn't always work. The product is not always here on every version of Amazon. So in that case, it does a search for the name of the product. So the Amazon search engine comes up with what's closest so people can click on it, but they're still tagged anyway. So. And, and it's actually free for the first 1,000 clicks per month, and then it's $10 per 10,000 clicks. Usually what I've found is that when you get over 1,000 clicks, the extra money you make from the different variations of Amazon, .co.uk, .fr, .de, etc., pays for genius. So I would say that it makes even a bit more money. So like you, it basically costs nothing. That's, that's the way I take it. And... It makes working with outsourced people so much easier because they don't have to like log in your affiliate account and you know, affiliate links, etc. They're just linked to a product that they think is good in the context for Amazon. They don't have to worry about monetization. And uh, Genius just does everything else, actually. That allows us to scale things up a lot. Like It's so much less management, actually, which I really like. Yeah, and it's there really needs to be the the thing that I don't like about the Amazon Associates program is that when you get down to the lower levels of their support, it seems like nobody really knows what's yeah. going on definitively. So you can talk to one support person and they'll tell you one thing and then you'll talk to another support person and they'll go, "Hang on, I have to look it up." And then they'll make a guess, you know? And that makes it a little bit scary. They, they give from, you the different, like different answers to the same question. We've had people asking the same questions about, like, can I get my links managed, etc. Some people say yes, some people say no. So, like Mark Jenner, for example, he asked, and they said okay for Genius. Apparently, for you, they said no. It's different with bigger affiliates too. So, the wire cutter, PC World, whatever, they get dedicated reps. Yeah, and I know because I, I just got my own dedicated rep. Um, so I think I'm just. <laughs> Just barely big enough to get my own dedicated rep, but their reps are certainly very involved in what they're doing, especially for someone like the wire cutter who's probably making them millions and millions of dollars a year. Yep. So at that point, there's more of a conversation where you can say, if you're the wire cutter, hey, I really need some way to manage these links. Can you work with me? And they'll probably say, yeah. But for the rest of us where they will ban you and never talk to you again, uh, then it's... Um, a little bit scarier, but also it shouldn't be scary for you if Amazon's not a huge chunk of your income, I don't think, because it is supported by the API and all this other stuff. So take what I say with a grain of salt. I'm very paranoid. Yeah. I just want to say you were scared about doing the podcast on that topic. We are on track to make the longest ever podcast for Atari Hacker right now, right? Hey, nice. <laughs> so if you're still here, I want to talk about the native ads as well. The native ads are something pretty new, actually. It's not the CPM ads. They have two different ones. The, they call it recommendation ads, maybe. Essentially, they are blocks of four or eight 
recommended product that look pretty good, are mobile responsive, etc., that you can put inside your content or whatever you want. And it does a little bit like AdSense, right? It scans the content and it finds the most relevant products, or you can yourself choose which products you want to show in a certain block or something. Did mm-hmm. you use that so far? Uh, I tried it for a little bit. Yeah, they didn't necessarily work for me in a way that was going to be worth it. So I was testing them as an ad unit at the same time I was testing lots of other ad units. So I was just getting into media.net and I was testing them against AdSense and stuff. So they they did work for me. They made like $7 a day, which amounted to like, you know, 200 bucks a month or whatever. And the, the place that I had them, I had a media.net unit that was making me much, much more. So four or five times more than that. So it became not necessarily worth it to have it in there only because I thought it looked like there were too many ad units and I was willing to pay $200 for a better user experience. So I tested them for a little bit. They didn't necessarily work for me. I know you kind of had a different experience. Well, actually, it's funny because I did. At the beginning, they did really... Like we basically usually put them at the bottom of content that mentions products. Mm-hmm. So like, you know, if, if an article would just be purely informational, we'd put something like Tabula. And if something was, you know, mentioning a solution or something like that, we'd put these Amazon native ads, right? Mm-hmm. And we changed theme recently. So in our previous theme, this did pretty well, actually. I think we were making like, five six hundred dollars a month from these so it was you know okay for like the second ad at the bottom right right but we changed theme and now we have them and honestly they are doing horrible so i know you're using the same thing that we use right now on house ambition right so i'm actually wondering if it's a theme thing you know could be because because it was doing much better now i'm probably gonna kick them out actually so (laughs) I, although I really like putting them in the middle of solution-oriented content, you know? <laughs> so let's say we say, like, you know, 10 remedies for hangovers. Yeah. And one of them is, once again, this activated charcoal because it sponges the alcohol out of your stomach. Sexy, I know. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, in that case, rather than putting a bullet list, I usually put this block of four ads, actually, of, like, four, pro- four recommended Activated charcoal. So, you know, I craft each block when we make the content. It's actually pretty quick with the generator. And I put it there and that works okay. But the bottom ads right now on focus block, they're not doing very well, actually. Yeah. And, um, you know, it's, it's, uh, not something where we figured it out, but like any other ad unit, the commitment to just try it is so low because it takes five minutes to yeah. use something like ad inserter and just put it in there or maybe you take your top 10 posts and you just put it in there by hand or whatever. So they didn't necessarily work for me well enough that I wanted to keep them in, but I know they work for some people and I th- I've, I've seen them on some sites that some really big sites that get tons of traffic and I'm yeah, sure it's, like it's, Android it's authority it. uses it a lot, for example. Yeah. 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 I mean, I guess it really depends. You should definitely try. I think there's a layout thing as well right. that counts a lot. Did you ever try the, Amazon store thing that the uh, that Amazon offers. It feels like yeah, very A-Store. old, you know. Yeah, I did. I didn't try it with my current site, but I did try it with my shaving site, and I basically just created a store with all the most popular products that I had come across in the niche, the stuff that I sold well, and then I put a menu in, or I'm sorry, a link in my menu that just said store, and when people clicked on it, it was essentially just an Amazon A store. 
And then if you clicked on a product, it would take you to an Amazon page where you could buy it. Never worked for me. I know I've heard stories of people making them work and people earning money. However, the people I've heard it from are are often trying to sell something. I've never personally seen one in the search results. Yeah. So I don't know. Have you used them? I mean, I have tried once, but like literally everyone that I trust that's tried said it's the worst Amazon product ever. It's pretty bad. Yeah. So I don't recommend them unless you, you know, you hear about it from a guy that's trying to sell you a $7 WSO. <laughs> it's, uh, it's probably not something I would recommend. You know, it's, it's, I just wanted to mention it because some people will try it. It's, it's easy. It's a little bit lazy. To be honest, the lazier it is, the less it works usually. Yeah. Uh, and it's no different, right? And there are plugins that allow you to, you know, plug Amazon products inside stuff like WooCommerce and, uh, there's a plugin called Woozone on Code Canyon. And I've heard people making it work. But to be frank, like, I just don't see the point of creating that extra step of your own shopping cart page on your site that is going to convert a million times less than the Amazon shopping cart page. I think the only reason to do that is we did a small experiment when I was over at Niche Pursuits where we had a site and we built pages that targeted for sale keywords. Okay. So we'd have like product blank or blank product for sale. And then it would be one of those types of pages where it's like a WooCommerce page and the buy button would be an affiliate link. Mm. Those turned out to be very easy to rank for those for sale pages. The problem with them is that they often have low search volume and very low long tail traffic. So while they're easy to rank for, they never made as much money. So again, not really worth it in my experience. If you are someone who has made it work, please let us know. I know John Dextro is tinkering with it for a while and he's got lots of traffic. So maybe we should ask him. Yeah, I'm going to ping him actually, but... Yeah, it's like, I guess you can, it helps you rank for these e-commerce queries that only have e-commerce stores ranking, you know? Yeah. But that's basically it. That's the only thing. And to be honest, like having a fake store on your site just feels a bit shitty for the experience, you know? Yeah. And what you can do is use them for maybe like a combination with FBA. That's what we were trying to do. We weren't trying to do it with an affiliate link. But what we ended up doing is just using an Amazon link to our own product. And, uh, so for us, they didn't make money from an affiliate perspective, but by driving 20 extra people to that product, we would make three sales and the product was 50 or $60. So it was, you know, it made some money with that page, but I don't don't think it's going to be anything crazy. Yeah. uh, It's, it's just doesn't feel amazing to me as an idea. It's, I'm sure you can make some money, but it's not something that you should be like, yeah, that's going to be my business model. Right. And not worth the effort for sure. Cool. I'm going to go for the last question because we are over an hour now in that podcast. The terms of service of the Amazon Associates program, pretty cumbersome slash unknown slash hard to understand. What would you say are like the top three things that people tend to do with their promotions that are actually against the terms of service and put them at risk of losing their account? Sure. So number one, the most controversial because we contradicted it even on this episode (laughs) is going to be altering the affiliate links. So that's one, altering the images. Can't do that either. And I know I knew somebody who was running a site that was making like $9,500 a month 
uh, and it was he thought it was totally by the book, and he could not figure out why they were emailing him, telling him they were going to ban his account. And he ended up finally figuring out that it was because he had altered the images just to have like a little like a red corner that said "click here" or whatever. Wow. Um, but you can't do that. And then emailing affiliate links. Yeah. Is, do you know is, people that got banned for that? For emailing affiliate links, not personally. I've just got wind of the controversy with the ebook sites because that's all they do is email affiliate links. But I personally don't know anybody who's gotten banned for that. I do know people who've gotten banned for affiliate link alteration and a few people who almost got banned for altering the images. But what usually happens if you violate the terms of service is you'll get an email saying you're violating the terms of service. They'll often cite like a line or a rule. Most of the time it's really vague and then you have to go figure it out um, yeah. and try everything. But in general, if you're worried about the terms of service, especially if you're paranoid like me, the basic way to make sure you're in compliance is to only is to first of all, Oh no, no. this is the biggest one. So there's going to be four. Okay. Um, but the biggest one is not disclosing that you're part of the Amazon Associates oh, yeah. program. Uh, that's going to get you banned super quick. So yep. I put that in my footer so it's on every page. And under my links, I say check current prices. So, And there are lots of little things too. Like you can't say click this link to see the best prices. Amazon has banned people for that. I read that in some forums and stuff. Um, but yeah, so disclose your in Amazon. Don't make any claims about their prices. And then use the naked URL if you are really concerned about the terms of service. Okay, that's pretty cool. I think we're done with that podcast. Any last last word of advice for people that want to be very successful Amazon affiliates? Yeah, if you're new to internet marketing, I think the best way to be really successful with Amazon affiliates is to make a smaller niche your site that recommends really expensive products. That's the way I've seen people make money the fastest. And it usually can make more money per visitor than, say, my site where my RPM on Amazon articles is like 30 bucks or something. So if you want to give it a try without much investment, it's probably a good way to do it. Okay. Well, thanks for listening. If you have any question about the Amazon affiliate program or if you have any question about anything else that we do at Authority Hacker, you can actually go on authorityhacker.com slash ask and we're going to do a big Ask Us Anything podcast soon. Maybe you'll be on it, Perrin. Maybe we should do a three-way podcast. It's going to be yeah, interesting. I would love that. And also, we have the Authority Hacker Pro membership finally relaunching soon. So uh, watch out for the emails we're going to be sending. We are going to do a bunch of cool stuff. We are releasing some cool blog posts and free courses before that. So if you want to launch your own authority site, do what we do for a living. Watch out. There's going to be a bunch of free content coming your way. And there is going to be the opening of the pro community so that everyone gets something out of it. So guys, thanks for listening. Perrin, thanks for joining. And we'll see you guys later. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Authority Hacker Podcast. If you enjoyed this show, don't forget to rate us on iTunes and send us a screenshot on authorityhacker.com slash bonus to claim your free premium Authority Hacker training.